Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week, we'll be discussing a new topic or trend, so you can stay informed the easy way. Serena, what are we talking about this week? I'm just going to preface this by saying that I've never watched Sex in the City, but this week was the revival, or the comeback, I'm not sure what the right word of it is, of Sex in the City. And I believe it is called And Just Like That. And something interesting happened with it. So in one of the episodes, I believe it is the first one, Mr. Big, played by Chris Noth, who has recently been accused of sexual assault, so that's terrible. Can I just say something about that? Mm. Every single time I have seen his face, I have thought, that is a dodgy guy. Creepy slimeback. And now my instincts based on superficial looks have been proven right. And I think that I am a sage and a seer with an amazing third eye ability to spot total douchebags. But yeah, there's something very smarmy about his face and I never liked him. I never liked him as Mr. Big. I couldn't understand why Carrie Bradshaw, why he was this big guy that everyone wanted. Ugh, disgusting. So the lesson here is everyone always listen to Madby and her instincts. I agree with this. So at the end of the first episode... Mr. Big, who is the on-and-off-again love interest of Carrie Bradshaw, takes a ride on his Peloton bike, his 1,000th ride, and shortly after he gets off the bike, he dies of a heart attack. And this caused the stock of Peloton to drop overnight by 11%. If you don't know what Peloton is, Peloton is a at-home spin class, so it's one of those bikes that you have to clip into with special shoes, And they have little screens at the front where you can take part in classes. And it's all like community at home spin workout class. Now, the interesting thing about Peloton is it's gained this cult following. It's become this like real cultural phenomenon, particularly during Corona. I think it's sort of taken off. There was that whole thing with a kind of weird, creepy ad they had where everyone kind of freaked out about it. And what was the ad? It was of a woman and her significant other gives her a Peloton bike and she looks at the camera with this almost scared look in her eye, like kind of frightened look, and everyone freaked out about the ad. Additionally, I think there was accusations of sexism around the ad. Yeah, so I just watched that ad and a husband gives a wife an exercise bike for Christmas, which, first of all, given the fact that women are told always by society to keep thin, it's not a great message, especially since the woman in the ad is already very thin. Plus, there were just multiple problems with this advert. She is already very thin, but then working out like crazy. And then she has a 10-year-old daughter, but the couple looks like really young and they have a really big house and stuff like this. So massive, unrealistic images all around. Yeah. So essentially this week, Peloton has been on my mind. Peloton is very, very interesting. Peloton occupies this space in our society, which has apparently lost religion, lost spirituality, and lost community. And now all these commercial brands, especially exercise kind of movements, are kind of occupying this space. Peloton is one of them, Soul Cycle is another one of them. We'll talk about Soul Cycle in a bit. But Peloton is very interesting because it's an at home exercise bike, so you're doing it alone. 
However, you feel like you're doing it in a community because, like you say, they have this tablet which shows, you know, an instructor. You log into a class without actually being physically in a space of a class. It's totally tailored, so you can choose your workout, choose your time, choose your instructor, choose the level of your bike, what you want, how you want to set your bike, and then you see other users and see how they're progressing on this ride, on this workout alongside with you. There is a leaderboard, which Anne Helen Peterson, who's an amazing cultural analyst and journalist, she wrote a series of newsletters and analyses of Peloton. We'll link to it in our newsletter. So she said when she first got into it, you know, you get into this leaderboard and this kind of gamification aspect where each trainer kind of tells you what levels you should set. So you're sort of competing and then you see like who passes you or whatever. But then afterwards, she realized that there's like a setting called power zone where basically you can set your level, say level three. But my level three is exactly calibrated to my body and my level of fitness. So my level three might be completely different from your level three. It's completely individualized. And in the end, her thing was that like with Peloton, you're actually competing against yourself. It's not about a competition with other people really in the end. It's not about really even losing weight because in all of their messaging and stuff, despite this advert, they don't actually talk about losing weight or toning up and all that traditional stuff. I read an expose on the website Betches, the Instagram account. They now have their own news platform. And one of the women to write this piece, she joined Peloton and she said that that was the one thing that stuck out to her that made it very different from SoulCycle. And I do think this is incredibly intentional. They do this intentionally to sort of stand in contrast to other fitness sites, is that there's no mention of losing weight, of toning up, there's no body shaming, there's no negativity towards the participants. It's all uplifting. There's no abuse in that sense, because if you look at some of the rhetoric around SoulCycle, for example, they like really shame you and yell at you about like the way you look and not trying hard enough. And that very clearly is not what Peloton's trying to do. I don't know necessarily if it's healthier because I think it's weirdly manipulative because they're still like very consciously making this choice to approach it differently, right? Because it's a marketing tool. It's all about feeling good and body positivity, but it's still kind of... Well, I think a lot of people find it empowering and that's cool. But yeah, the thing about Peloton and the thing about SoulCycle and all of these, they are very, very, very consciously crafted brands that are very much controlling their entire narrative. And that's why they work so well. So Peloton, yeah, they might not be saying work out so you get a great ass, for example. And actually, neither is really SoulCycle. SoulCycle is more manifest your own greatness and power, which is really the amazing thing is both of them are based on a stationary bike. And all you're doing is just cycling on a stationary bike, but they've become massive movements. But Peloton, for example, and also SoulCycle, they rely on the trainers. And all of these trainers are super, super charismatic. They're like cult leaders. There's the sassy gay trainer. There's the beautiful, mindful woman. There's the millennial rebel trainer. And Helen Peterson says these trainers are basically texts which you as a user kind of read and are invested in and interact with. 
with both Soul Cycle and Peloton. They are very, very important to the experience and they develop these cult like followings. I was reading about Ali Love, who was one of the trainers. And she had this mind-blowing destination wedding. She announced that she would make her account private to gain, you know, more followers. And then she coordinated this five-day wedding. Everyone was in coordinated colors. And she posted everything first. And then all the other instructors posted things secondarily. It was just so choreographed and coordinated. And a lot of these trainers, interestingly, used to be dancers. And dancers have this choreography because, again, it's just a stationary bike. However, it's a community. But it's also a completely manufactured and fake community. Obviously, you can link to it and you can you can have a, a connection to it that feels real. But it's based on these sort of trainers who post a lot on Instagram and stuff. And Helen Peterson uses this amazing kind of phrase called performative authenticity. So you always see them posting all the time, whatever they're doing, their weddings, they just had a baby, all of this sort of stuff. So you think you have an insight into their lives, but it's totally curated as well. And that's the amazing sort of paradoxical thing that Peloton lies on the, on the border of. You know what it reminded me of? And this is going to sound super random and weird. The cult of personality surrounding Lenin. Not Lenin from the Beatles, but Lenin, Russian communist Lenin. So during his rise to power, so the power struggle between Leon Trotsky and Joseph Stalin, Stalin used this really interesting method, which was later called the cult of personality. I think I've talked about this before. If you don't know this, I'm obsessed with Russian history. And essentially what he did was he presented Lenin as this this one supreme leader who was the greatest and the best. And he sort of presented himself as Lenin's natural successor. But he did this through things like images. So like he photoshopped images where it was him with Lenin. He photoshopped Trotsky out of photos. So you're like, oh, he doesn't really care about him. And it's the same thing of where he created this cult around a personality to gain a mass following and manipulate people in this in a very similar way, which I think that at the end, humans are very simple creatures, aren't we? And so, yeah, he did. I mean, I'm not trying to say that Ali Love's wedding was similar to Joseph Stalin taking over an entire massive country and becoming a dictator, but there is some common thread to be drawn between how they use images and this like very specific curation of a public perception to manipulate people. And then what happens because of you see all these pictures in Peloton, the, the master brand, it's not that they control those people's Instagram accounts. However, I think they do help them style and guide them and shape their public personas and stuff. But then there's always a little level below that where people then get super interested. We are super interested in the lives of celebrities, for example, because we want to see the realness beneath that. And we try and get the clues and figure out, like with Ali Love's Wedding, on Twitter, on Instagram, on the Reddits for Peloton, it was like celebrity gossip. Who was invited who was not invited who got engaged at the same time and did that deflect from Ali's wedding and how does she feel about that so even though there's this unified front you can tell by reading into these images the other kind of tensions and relationships that occur beneath this general unified front so like Ali and another trainer go to lunch but Ali and another trainer they seem like unified but actually you never see them 
privately kind of hanging out together and stuff like that. Yeah, there's like a massive user community that's invested in the celebrity gossip of, of these people. And these people are celebrities. They're genuinely influencers in their own right. However, you can tell that the big Peloton brand does control like how they use their influencer power because they don't do any partnerships that are off-brand and stuff like that. I think there was a lot of controversy around certain Peloton instructors like going on sponsored vacations and then people got very mad and unfollowed them and were like, I'm not taking any of her classes anymore. She went on this spawn con and stuff. In The Atlantic, there is an article where the author describes going to one of the conventions for Peloton. So it's like a meetup. And she describes how it takes place at New York City's Hammerstein Ballroom. And Robin Arzon, VP of Fitness Programming at Peloton, comes onto the stage with DJ Khaled's All I Do Is Win blasting in like a mini white dress. She's got like a headset in the thing she describes as a Madonna-style headset. And there's like 3,000 people in the crowd and she's yelling at them and everyone's cheering them on. And like, she just talks about how it's like this weird cult-like euphoria in the crowd and everyone's screaming and like, ah, Robin and all this stuff. But then she goes around and she sort of looks around at all of the different attendees at this convention or at this like event. And she notices something interesting about how a lot of these women, I think she specifically describes, they all have these weird subgroups. Like there's the Christian spins, the theater nerds who spins, the moms who are lawyers who also spins. And she's observing this phenomenon about how these people are meeting each other in real life for the first time. The blinding excitement when they meet people that they only know from online or from Facebook groups. She describes how these women have these elaborate Facebook groups and how there's all these subgroups for different types of people who spin and how this is like the first time they're all meeting each other and the community aspect that comes from this and how a lot of these women have found their niches and they're in this group of 3,000 people. There's like lights and pyrotechnics and it's all big and explosive. It sounds like those uh, evangelical churches in the US. But Anne Helen Peterson describes the same thing because she's like, at the beginning, you just have this massive leaderboard and she realizes at some point that, which is really weird, but some people actually cheat either through bots, which don't understand why people would make a bot to rig the system so the bot wins at the cycling random, or they're cheating by just cranking up their resistance and grinding through the warm-up. And then she realizes, like, you know, why am I trying to compete with a 20-year-old man who has a hashtag like triathlete for life? So then she starts limiting the people she sees on the leaderboard, which you can totally do. So you can limit it to like women, if you feel like it, you can limit it to women of your age, or then you start following people. And then these groups actually form. So you start working out, albeit in your own bedroom, (laughs) with by your selection of the leaderboard on the tablet in front of you, you start working out with, you know, a group of six women who happen to be because you've limited it, or, you know, Taipei lawyer women, for example, and then you start following them, then you give them like high fives when you pass them or whatever um, at the end of workout. So you really do form this community. But yeah, it's totally on the tablet in front of you while you're cycling. It's just a super interesting phenomenon. It's very cult-like. But I think it goes back to, I have this like theory that, I mean, I don't know if it's so much of a theory, but 
I believe that at the end of the day, everyone just wants to feel like they belong and they are accepted. And I think that maybe a lot of the rise of Peloton, and this is maybe not necessarily just limited to Corona, but I think that it takes a lot of guts to like go to a spin class, particularly something like SoulCycle, where they don't really bother to teach you how to put on the shoes and you're kind of shamed if you don't know how to do things. And so doing something from the privacy of your own home where you can make mistakes and you're not kind of exposed or embarrassed like that, you can feel accepted and part of something without the shame that is normally associated with something like exercise, because I do think there's a lot of shame associated with it. Yeah, like SoulCycle, for example, everyone's wearing these Lululemon outfits you have your Soul Cycle bottle, which costs, I don't know, expensive. Another thing about Soul Cycle is, and Soul Cycle was this really great episode on Sounds Like a Cult, that in the end, it's a lot of kind of privileged, rich white women who do it, which is slightly different from Peloton because Peloton does actually, I'm not sure those bikes are expensive. However, they do also very curated, make sure that they have real representation of at least skin colors on their website and in their trainers and a kind of age group. They don't have representation in terms of body types necessarily. But yeah, on Like It's a Cult, they were saying these are women who obviously have somehow rejected religion and lost those communities and they're trying to tap into this like sense of community. And again, they've just taken the evangelical church and put it on bikes there's a lot of things like that in our culture. Food is one of them, paleo and stuff, or gluten-free and all of this sort of like healthy eating. There's this idea that you're tapping into purity and sacrifice and manifesting goodness and living your best life and all of this sort of stuff without actually having religion. I think also yoga has a big part to play in this because yoga existed before and yoga is the, the marriage of movement and mind and spirituality. And... It's not really a brand, although there are many micro brands of it that people have started, like the hot yoga guy or whatever, but it's a big practice in general. And I think now all of these other commercial brands that just sell a bike have tapped into the fact that, hey, we just take this yoga philosophy and apply it to our commercial brand. And it works. They have 4.4 million users and most of them are all like really pretty engaged and those trainers have a lot of commercial influence too. One of the things that they point out in the Sounds Like a Cult episode though is that like this form of empowerment is profiting off of you. You're paying for this. But it's the same with religion, right? What did the Catholic Church do? What does every single church, they take donations. Yeah, and taxes if you're in Germany. Exactly. So it's the same, except at least this way, you're getting a nice ass. The Catholic Church does not give you a nice ass. That is the takeaway from this episode. Maybe we're going to find ourselves in the world where the Catholic Church then, by reversal, starts learning from all of these brands who have adopted a kind of religious stance, and the Catholic Church will start making sermons where, you know, you run on the spot while the priest is talking to you. You know that there is a subgroup of women, of Christian women, who started taking strip classes, like pole dancing classes? It's called like stripping for Jesus or something. Yeah, that's a real thing. So the world's a great place, unique and wonderful place. I actually have a very, I'm just going to say personal story, but it's not that personal. My old roommate and I, about two years ago, 
when ClassPass first came to Germany, they offered a one-month free trial, and we signed up, and we got so into spin class. We would go two or three times a week. Why? So we went to this place in Berlin called B-Cycle, which I can be kind of oblivious sometime. So maybe it was like Soul Cycle, but I didn't really perceive it as such. Also because Pooja and I would literally arrive five minutes before the class, go in and leave. Like we didn't really participate in the community aspect of it. So maybe it was kind of culty and we just didn't realize. Like culty in that way that people care about the instructors and stuff. And we were just like in our own bubble ready to go get pierogi because that's what we would do. We would go to a spin class and then go get pierogi. Okay, but that you're already wrong. Because B-Cycle has its own cafe. Mm-hmm. And they have something in Neon, because I live near B-Cycle, in the window of the cafe that sounds culty and more mm-hmm. like spiritual. And the cafe is super overpriced and sells, you know, avocado toast for seven euros or whatever, but like avocado and sourdough, a lot of that blah. But the reason we got so into the spin class is is because there is something addictive about it. Like when you're in there and everyone's like moving on the bike together and at B-Cycle, the instructors are not mean or abusive. Like they're encouraging. It's more of the Peloton, not the Soul Cycle sort of pathway. And they're all really nice. They come help you set up the bike. They teach you how to clip in. Like, it's all very nice, friendly, and open, at least from what we perceived. And the reason you kind of get into it is is because, I don't know, there's a moment when, like, it's kind of dark in this room, and the music and the lights are going, and you're kind of, like, moving in unison with everyone, and you're going up, and you're going down, and you're doing all of this. And there is something church-like to it. You do feel that euphoria and that connection to everyone in the room. I completely get what everyone is talking about. But it's the same with Soul Cycle. They turn the lights down mm-hmm. and they put candles. Yeah, B Cycle doesn't put candles. That seems like a fire hazard to me. I've also heard clips of the Soul Cycle thing where an instructor is saying, okay, now everyone just scream and everyone screams. And I feel like, when was the last time anyone screamed? We live in cities or we live in houses with other people. Our neighbors can hear us. We're embarrassed to just do raw expressive things like scream and i think you know those evangelical churches actually do give you the opportunity to talking tongues and just have a moment of euphoria and express things in a way that is accepted and it's not taboo mm-hmm. and all of this massive endorphin release and just pushing yourself and going to the limits physically in the end yes yeah, you're just cycling on a bike but i feel like that's also missing from from our society somewhat. Yeah, I was going to say in the end, I think it says more about us as a culture that we are so busy, we are so wound tight that we don't have these moments of pure expression and release. And maybe that's why. Because in in Sounds Like a Cult, they describe how a lot of women find it an emotional release and they cry and all these things happen in Soul Cycle in these exercise classes. And maybe just it's a reflection on how poorly we're able to express ourselves in society. Of course we need all these moments of release. Of course we need, as you were saying, space to scream, space to feel. And if we live piled on top of each other, we're always busy, we're always going, we're always performing for social media. When do you have time to release and scream and cry and just authentically feel your emotions? As a woman, it's not socially acceptable to get angry, to get upset. You're labeled as hysterical, you're labeled as melodramatic or overdramatic. But yelling and screaming and being frustrated and angry in an exercise class, that's socially acceptable because exercise is all about, you know, like, well, not all about, but it's sort of labeled and branded as taking care of yourself and 
all this stuff. So it's a space where women are allowed within society to get angry or express that anger through exercise. Yeah, there's another brand called Rumble, and it's kind of tagged as the soul cycle of boxing. It's a New York City-based boxing-inspired group that has fitness classes, and it already has a cult following, including Kendall Jenner, Selena Gomez, Hayley Baldwin. I have no idea who that is. Who's Hayley Baldwin? Justin Bieber's wife. She's the nephew of... Justin Bieber has a wife, isn't mm-hmm. he? 12? Yeah, he's 12. And she's also Alec Baldwin's niece. Ah, this is interesting, because Rumble is back. This makes sense now. Rumble is backed by Justin Bieber and Sylvester Stallone. So that's kind of interesting because I guess women are into it, but in the end, who owns all these brands? I think SoulCycle was actually founded by two women and their mission was, it says on their website, to bring soul to the people and they call their experience tribal, primal and fun. But then SoulCycle, I think, is now owned by Equinox Group, which is a very big sort of gym boot group. Peloton is owned by a man called Foley. He used to be a Barnes & Noble's executive. He founded it in 2012 because he wanted the convenience of boutique fitness classes like SoulCycle, but in his home. Yeah, so like he's the CEO, then the president, William Lynch, is a man. Uh, the CFO is actually a woman. The other co-founder is a man, Hisao Kushi. Another co-founder, Tom Kotze, man. The chief content officer is actually a woman, but all the rest, the chief commercial officer, chief business officer, are men. Another co-founder is a man who is Yong Feng. There is one other woman who is the chief operating officer. It is actually a bit better than a lot of companies, but really pretty. I mean, it's still not great. Their user group is like 49% women, 43% male. They have some interesting marketing tactics too because they put them into nice hotels and they calibrate the machines so you actually do better in the hotel machines because they're more looser. So it kind of gives you the encouragement and the feeling that you want to go and buy one. Amanda Montel, who wrote this book called Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism, writes that exercise driven only by numbers tend to quit within 12 months. It's when elements of belonging, self-worth, and empowerment enter the picture that members are moved to renew their fitness membership year after year. So I guess this is exactly what we see with places like SoulCycle and Peloton, is they really are like cults. They really make you feel a sense of belonging and emotional attachment, so you're more likely to stay because now you are emotionally invested in them. You're emotionally invested in the instructors your friends with the people you ride with. It's really become this community and it stops being, I mean, it never really stops being, but some in like a way it stops being about the actual class and starts being about the experience with the community. You feel this attachment to it in a way that goes beyond exercise. And on that note, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one, a lesson to be learned from Peloton is that they embrace this principle of movement over weight loss, which is a much healthier way to approach exercise. Thing two, there is absolutely nothing wrong with getting sucked into the world of Peloton or SoulCycle. I genuinely believe that this sense of community and belonging can be incredibly empowering, and whatever works for you and whatever makes you genuinely feel good is chill. And number three, 
we just looked at all these kind of Peloton influencers and all these brands with a kind of critical eye, which is also super interesting and important to do. Because even though you might get the feeling that somebody is being authentic online, it is also a performed authenticity. And to keep that in mind just means having a more realistic grasp on what you're seeing and engaging in. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.